Well, good morning to you. Good to see you this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles or your phone or something, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 to 23. We'll be looking at that text this morning. And a uh, great text. I'll really be concerned about verse 18, but we need the full context for it to begin to make sense. And it's a, uh, a text that I think has a great deal to teach us about who we are individually and what it means to be a church together. I'm reading from the English Standard Version this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 through 23. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. The ancient world was really caught up with the obsession of wisdom. Uh, there was a literary genre called wisdom literature. Uh, every kind of area, whether it was Egypt or Sumer or Babylon or the Hittites or the Israelites, had wisdom literature. And wisdom was usually built upon Two contrasting ideas, usually one of them good, one of them not so good. And uh, the person was invited to choose the path that they would walk. And to choose the right path was called wisdom, of course. So in the ancient world, 400 years before the birth of Jesus, a young, brilliant mind from Athens made his way across that hilly land over to a mountainous area called Delphi in Greece. And at Delphi, there was a great pagan temple where there was a priestess and an interpreter for the priestess. And there was something else. There was a geothermal fissure there in the ground, and every once in a while it would belch forth this foul-smelling gas. And the priestess would go into an ecstatic utterance, and the person who was there would interpret. And if you were the person who had come to seek out the wisdom of the priestess at that time, her ecstatic words interpreted by the interpreter would kind of set your course in life. And so Socrates found the priestess, went through the process, and there he learned those two words that changed the direction of his life. Know thyself. Know who you are, Socrates, and then you can begin to teach others. That was the wisdom that he had learned. And, and there certainly is a wisdom in the world But you see, wisdom 
isn't about being shut away in the mountains up in Delphi with a priestess who speaks ecstatic utterance with the need of an interpreter to make sense of what is being said. Wisdom is something that is very practical. It is something very practical. It has to do with our understanding, with our knowledge, with our insight, with all that we can muster as we attempt to make sense out of the lives that we are called to live. And so, here was Paul in Corinth. Now, if you know much about Corinth, Corinth was rather a decadent city in the ancient world. It was on a little isthmus where uh, the ships would come in from the one side and transport their cargo across the seven miles and load them on a ship on the other side. And so it was a transient community, a a, a seaport community, a decadent community. I I like to tell my students at the university that, uh, you know, what happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. It was that kind of a town. Didn't have to know much other than that. But it was to this little fledgling church in this first century city that demographers tell us was perhaps 250 or 300,000 people along with the transients passing through that Paul writes to these people about their understanding of wisdom. This very practical need to know how to pull our lives together and make sense of what was taking place. And so Paul tells the people in this very short verse that there are two ways to understand wisdom. We can understand wisdom as one would understand the wisdom that comes forth from the age in which one lives, or one can find wisdom in God's divine revelation in Jesus Christ. But you see, the individual has to make the choice. We have to choose which path we will follow. Now, now when you think of the wisdom of this age, there's lots of wisdom and lots of knowledge out there, isn't there? I'll tell you, you think about getting to the moon and back and to places far beyond. If it were up to me, folks, we wouldn't get off the ground. I don't have that ability. Not only can't I not make, you know, space modules, I can't even build a shed. Some people have those abilities. This is not a part of my uh, framework. That's not who I am. But wisdom has this practical bent, bent that says, this is how we can live, dare I use the term, successfully within the world. I can live like the world lives. I can live like God's revelation begins to tell me. But I have to choose. Now, when we think of worldly wisdom, and and I want to emphasize that there is so much good in our world, but that our premise is built upon faulty terrain. Because of the problem of sin, because of our own ego-centeredness, because of our own agenda setting and what we want to do with our lives. 
And, and you know, the audience makeup is so different in this service than in the first. Let me just go over here for a minute, okay? I hope, young people, that you have some agenda setting in your life. I hope that as you pray to God and as you seek His wisdom, that you've got a goal that you want to fulfill. Because if you don't have, you'll fulfill fulfill something, and you might not want that very much. Ask God for that direction your life can take, and boy, go for it. Do it. But it takes a sense of wisdom to believe that God wants you to do that. What do you want you to do? So this whole sense of wisdom that we acquire in our daily living is a wisdom that can be tainted by our own selfishness or by the selfishness of the world in which we live. Or it can begin to seek this wisdom that God wants to extend to us that can shape us and mold us according to who Christ is and what Christ wants to do in our lives. So there is this how business of wisdom. What is wisdom? How does it work? Well, you see, the Corinthians, even in the church, were confounded by the fact that they were pitting personalities off against one another because somebody had come through Corinth, a great preacher, and they had baptized this person over here, and then somebody else came through and baptized this person. And they were playing personalities off of each other. I was baptized by Benny Hinn, or I was baptized by, you know, John Hagee, or I was baptized by Colonel Sanders. I don't know who baptized you. Doesn't matter. Paul is trying to help them to understand that it's not about personalities. It's about the revelation of God in Christ Jesus. Now, that's easy to say, but sometimes it's hard to deal with that because... What we want to happen is we want Jesus to be the Jesus that we like best, you see. Maybe we're infatuated with Jesus, the great teacher. And we think of him in terms of the Sermon on the Mount and the great teaching that he did. And if it's not involved with his teaching, maybe it's about Jesus, the miracle worker, and all of the excitement that must have come about when He performed those healings or those nature miracles or he fed the 5,000 or whatever he did. Do you know something? If we only had Paul's letters, do you realize that we would never know that Jesus ever performed a miracle? Were you aware of that? I think Paul knew that Jesus was a miracle worker. I just don't think Paul believed that miracles had much to do with how we became the children of God or how we gained wisdom within the world. The miracle working was important, but it was secondary to the main task that Jesus had to fulfill, which was bringing about redemption from our fallen nature, from that sinful life that we were living. And so we gained wisdom through God's revelation in Christ, Not just because he was a good teacher, not just because he performed miracles, but because 
He died on Calvary's cross to bring about our redemption. And by Christ's own trust in the Father, was raised to new life in him. An incredible understanding. So, so we have this sense of wisdom, and it's kind of multi-dimensional characteristic. But there's more, because if you were to read that 18th verse again, maybe you would be struck as I am struck with those very first verses. Paul says, let no one deceive himself. Ah, the good old problem of self-deception. Wanting to see what we want to see. Wanting to interpret the meaning of events and circumstances the way we want them to be understood. Self-deception. It's a troubling fact. It's a troubling expression. Yet Paul says we can live in such a way that we all are willing to live a lie, if you please, because that's what self-deception really is. It's knowing the truth and choosing to live another way. Choosing to live life on our own terms. Now, the problem with the cross, and many of you are aware of this. This is nothing new for most of you, I know. But the problem with the cross is that it was the most despicable and shameful way that anyone could die in the ancient world. It was horrendous. Not just because of the brutality of it, but because of the shame that it created to the one who was crucified. The shame that it would bring to the family. And if you please, for Christians, the shame that it would bring to those new fledgling churches that were growing up in these Greco-Roman communities and they were saying, we follow Jesus. And the people were left scratching their heads and saying, but wasn't he the one who was crucified? And so if you... Remember the book of Romans, you'll read that first chapter in the 16th verse where Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. A sense of shame? Maybe for some. Paul says, certainly not for me. This is how God has been at work in our world. This is what he's wanting to do for us. So that we don't think we've had the power or the ability to bring about our own salvation. So that we don't think that we've been able to do this, somehow get to God on our own terms. And so here it is, this simple verse. Trying to help us to see the two ways of wisdom. God's way, the way of this age. And to realize that in attempting to choose, we face the problem of being self-deceived by overlooking the life of Jesus because it seems far too radical for us to ever want to experience. Do we really want to follow Jesus to the cross? Do we really want to take that upon ourselves and think that that's what we want to look like or that's who we want to talk about in this world? Wouldn't it be a lot easier just to talk about Jesus the miracle worker? Oh my. 
How exciting that is. Paul says, no. Remember what he says back in the second chapter of 1 Corinthians? He says, I didn't come to you with superiority of speech. I came preaching Christ crucified. Because he knew that there was the power of God's salvation at work in their midst. And so it was this whole idea of Jesus being this agent of God to bring about the reconciliation between humanity and God that we might be liberated from the problem of sin. Now realize, we don't like to talk about sin a lot in this world, and that's okay. That's okay. That's part of the wisdom of this age. Don't say the S word. But it's there, and it's the problem that was going on in Corinth. It was the problem that was inhibiting the church from really bearing witness to the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is willing to risk himself by talking about things that these people didn't necessarily want to hear in a manner that they didn't necessarily want to hear it, the crucified Christ in order that they could be brought to a sense of their own inability to achieve, that they might find wisdom. Now, this, this idea of wisdom, this, this gaining this practical knowledge of how we live as faithful people in this world, is really a significant concept. I've been thinking a lot about this, and... And, and, and I am really convinced that, that a part of the purpose of the church and a part of the ministry of the church is for us as brothers and sisters in Christ, a part of these missional communities, a part of these small groups or Sunday school classes or whatever we might wish to designate them. One of the things we need to talk about is what does it look like for those of us who really want to be faithful believers, what does it look like for us to live in this present age? You see, we can't choose to live in any other age, can we? This is ours. This is where we live. But what do we live like? Do we live like everybody else and, and live as close to our cultural understanding as we can? Or do somehow we live like faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, bearing in our lives what it means to follow him wherever we might go. Now, this, this idea of the church being the place where we really are able to talk about and understand the Christian life together, now that's nothing new. As I was a boy growing up in Central Michigan, uh, there were some pretty stringent realities placed upon us who called ourselves members of the Church of the Nazarene in those days, I'll tell you. And yet those dear brothers and sisters in that local church and those faithful pastors who came through that little rural community were striving to do their best to help us to understand what it meant to follow Jesus and to bear his cross in our lives. Sometimes the things that they said and sometimes the things that they taught didn't always own up to Scripture. But they were trying to be faithful. But we didn't have any way to talk about it. 
We didn't have any way to really adjust some of that harsh teaching that really had very little to do with what Scripture was talking about. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? What do we look like? Does it impact our values? Does it touch on our sexual ethic? Does it touch our economic understanding? Does it deal with life as a whole in ways that perhaps those who could care less about Jesus would ever understand? What does it mean? How do we own up to following Jesus? That becomes the issue that is just so significant that, that really very little else matters. Now, I think a church is a place where we ought to be able to have fun together. We ought to be able to laugh. We ought to be able to go to a Padres game. Go Padres. They need a lot of help, friends. Come on. Let's get out there and let's cheer them on. Maybe they'll win one for us. <laughs> well, they won a few, so that's good. We need to be able to laugh together. We need to be able to let our families engage in life together. But there comes that time when just having fun and engaging life isn't enough. That sense of teaching that is carried out from this platform that sense of ministry that goes out in the missional groups and all that takes place has to begin to prepare to shape us for life in this world. A life that at times can be vicious. A life that can be very, very difficult. To know how to live as the children of God in this world. And remember those first words in that text? without being deceived. A lot of self-deception going on in the church today. Lots of it. We like, a, we like a, a Jesus who loves everybody. We don't like a Jesus who says too much about judgment. Yet you read the New Testament, and if you have one, you almost have to have the other. There's a sense of reality in the teachings of Jesus that's pretty stark when you get down to it. You read some of those things he said about his friends called the Pharisees and just kind of make you shudder a little bit when you take it seriously. But Paul is here in Corinth, in this town where they were just living for their own sensual desires. Here he is to this little group of Christians trying to tell them the significance of the crucified Christ trying to tell them what it means now to take a step back away from the values of the age in which we find ourselves and to live in such a way that we begin to reflect His grace in all that we do. Hey, God has blessed us with a wonderful world, hasn't He? Yep, sure has. And yet this world needs redeeming grace. Not everything that goes on in our world is a reflection of God's creation, nor of God's love. But what can happen is it can be a reflection of the new creation God wants to bring through the grace He extends to us and gives to us through Christ Jesus. And as we live for Him, 
And as we allow that sense of God's wisdom to, to grab hold of who we are, something brand new takes place in the midst of our lives. We become new creatures in Christ Jesus. Now these Corinthians, Paul had quite a time with them. He spent a year and a half in the city teaching them, trying to help them to understand the crucified Christ. And now he's writing this letter back to them, encouraging them to recall and to remember all that he has said, that they might really take on the claims of the gospel as their own. Because wisdom is not just wisdom. Remember, there were two dimensions there. The wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God's revelation in Christ. And as we live that out a day at a time, we begin to recognize afresh what it means to be the children of God. And as we work together in a church community, we understand what it means to be impressed with the gospel message so that we can begin to share that with other people. Now, we get to that point where we talk about sharing this gospel message. And there are some who would want to say, well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have the verbal skills or verbal ability to do that. Well, that's between you and the Lord. I don't care. That, that's, that's none of my business. That's, that's where you live in that ongoing relationship with God. God wants to open your mouth, he can do it. He opened the donkey of Balaam's, you know. He can do that. But it's not just about bearing witness. It is about living faithfully, consistently, as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you something. Our culture desperately needs to see a consistent witness being lived in their midst. I think of our high school students and all that they face in this day and age. You know what? I, I, I made it through high school in four years. I really did. That was good. I, I couldn't have, well, I could have taken another year. I don't think the teachers could have. I think they just wanted me to get out of there. But I uh, made it through in four years. Not once, not once, did anybody ever offer me drugs. Never had that face that. Don't know any of those kids in that little old school that I went to who were on drugs. Boy, a lot of alcohol. A lot of illicit sexual activity. A lot of just rebelliousness. And downright meanness, but no drugs. So while life is different today, there were still temptations that we faced way back there in the dark ages. And yet God wants young people. God wants older people. God wants all of us to trust him that we might live faithfully, not only before him, but in the eyes of those who see us every day.
What do they see? What do they see in our lives? Do they see lives that have been so invested in God's wisdom that there is a difference in how we look in the world in which we live? I think that's what he wants. Not that I've got all the answers that tell you just like what you have to say or wear or do to be that kind of a person. Sometimes that's between our lives and God. But what it means is that there is a consistency, a faithfulness in the transformation that God is making in who we are that we might live as his children. Now, there are two ways. The wisdom of this age, the wisdom of God in Christ. There's a choice that has to be made. There's self-deception that can hinder that choice. But more than anything else, there is the means by which we can become faithful witnesses to Christ if we will live every day in the grace and love that he has promised to us in Holy Scripture. This becomes a part of that guide, my friends. This becomes a part of who we are and what we're doing. That's why we need it. And that's why I say beware of fellow Christians who want to say, oh yeah, (laughs) I like that wisdom of Christ, but, but I don't spend much time in that word. It's really not very relevant to me these days. Woe be unto them. Maybe we need to get back to some fundamentals. What I want you to do is I want you to realize how important it is to live wisely and to choose God's wisdom for your life that you might reflect His grace in all that you do wherever you might be found. Let's pray together. Father, we are needy people. Needy people because we want to do what's right. We want to submit ourselves without abandon to Jesus. Totally open, totally before him. And yet, Lord, we realize that that power of self-deception can be so real unless we're willing to be so radically open to your grace. Give us strength to trust you, Lord, that you might make us new creatures in Christ Jesus and that the church might do its work of helping us together to reflect the glory of God in our lives. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.